Hey there, and welcome to Church of the Beloved's weekly sermon podcast. My name is Kevin Zhou, and I serve on staff as the production manager here at COTV. Today's message is brought to us by teaching team member Ashanti Pedaway. He is preaching from Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. Good morning. <laughs> it's a joy to be with you again, as always, uh, to open up God's word and see what he has to say to us and speak into our hearts. Uh, one of the things they teach you in uh, doing any type of preaching is you never give a sermon before the sermon. Uh, but today, I'm just going to, uh, there's a little tidbit, something that was on my heart uh, as a moment of transparency just to share with you all with the hopes that it will also maybe be a word of encouragement and blessing to those who may be in a similar space. Uh, 2023 has been hard. It's been a challenging year for me. Uh, there have been a lot of things that have happened, a lot of things that I thought would happen that didn't happen. And uh, in those moments, you can grow quite weary. Uh, when you've been walking with Jesus for some time, I think there are certain expectations that you're just, you're like, hey, I can tough this out. Uh, but every once in a while, you'll hit spots where you're just like, man, Lord, I'm starting to question everything. I had people who I loved walk away from the faith, uh, still wrestling with the loss of my father two years ago and him dying as a non-believer and just all these different things. And you, you take steps of faith with these expectations of how things are going to plan out and then they don't necessarily plan out how you expect it. And, and, and various emotions can begin to hit you. Um, and some of that's because we start to paint the picture after the Lord has kind of said something to us, but he didn't paint it. It's like he says, hey, take this step. And then you say, okay, I'm going to take this step in. I feel in this spot here, it's going to look like this, and it's going to pan out like this, and in this many months, this is going to happen. Uh, but all he said was take the step. He didn't, he didn't fill in the blanks yet. Uh, but in church, oftentimes, even in pastoral leadership, there isn't necessarily a space to be like, hey, I'm hurting and I'm struggling in this way. And I just want to encourage those who may be in one of those seasons, or for those of you who aren't in a season like that yet, but may face it in the future, that even when all else fails and you don't feel his presence, where you don't feel the high of the spirit moving in you, you don't feel like you're at the mountaintop, keep doing what the truth tells us to do. So you keep praying whether you feel it or not. You keep reading his word whether you feel it or not. You keep following his footsteps even when you don't feel like it because the truth remains the truth at all times. His word says he'll never leave you or forsake you and that his steadfast love endures forever. So even when it doesn't feel like he's around, the truth is he's always present in you and with you. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, third part of the Godhead, dwells in you. And these are all truths that we hold on to in those seasons uh, of disappointment, in those seasons of hardship. And I want to say the big scary word nobody likes to say, but even in those seasons of doubt. God is faithful because he can't be anything other than who he is, which is a perfect, loving, compassionate God. So I just wanted to share that this morning uh, as we get ready to jump into the text and 
Uh, I know during the holiday season, it can be one of those times where emotions are hard. Uh, but just know this, you're not alone. We are not Superman up here on stage when we preach God's word. We are humble servants of the Lord, just like you. And we don't have it all together. This morning, we get to jump into the text. But before we do that, in light of what was just shared, I'd just like to take a moment to pray if that's okay with you. Lord God, we thank you for your goodness. And we thank you for your love. Lord, and we live in a world where brokenness is always around us. And sometimes in the midst of seeing what's going on around us as well as looking at what's going on in our own world, in our own lives, we can become blind to your goodness. Today, Lord, I pray that you would help us to see your goodness. I pray, Lord God, that whoever's hurting right now who hasn't shared a word with anyone but is slowly dying inside, I pray, Lord God, that this would be an encouragement to them to continue to call out to you, to continue to seek you, but also to reach out to the hand of their brother or sister because you've not called us to journey alone. I ask, Lord God, for those who are hurting due to family issues or various trials and tribulations they have faced, that this morning, as we begin Advent season, that we would be reminded of the beauty that you did through sending your son Jesus as a living witness and as a sign of your love for us. And I pray, Lord, today that you would be glorified in the preaching of this word because it's not I who preaches it, but I'm just a vessel. And I pray that your truth will come forth to touch and move in us all. You are good, God, and we will hold on to that. In Jesus' name, amen. As I mentioned, we're beginning Advent season. And I'll be honest, I was a little surprised by the text. Didn't see that coming for the first text of Advent. You know, I expected something a little more celebratory. <laughs> uh, but even in looking at the text, uh, I think it was important to actually start here. The reason being is because Christmas, as we celebrate the Christmas season, uh, we've kind of lost sight of what we're actually celebrating. It's become more about our uh, events and things that we do for each other and gathering around each other. And I'm not here to demonize anything of gathering with your family and celebrating Christmas. That's not what we're saying. But again, it, oftentimes you can go the entire season without really thinking about Jesus. We can sing the songs, but we're not actively thinking about him. And, and today's text, I believe, shows us an opener as to why the incarnation of Jesus is so essential. Why is it that we need a Savior? There are non-believers who look at us as Christians saying, well, what, we don't need a God, let alone your God. Why do we need your Jesus? And today's text gives us this idea of saying this, this is why you need a Savior. We don't need to go far to see the wickedness found in our society. Think about it. This morning, I just did a quick search. I said, hey, top stories of news today. 
Paris attack near Eiffel Tower leaves one dead and two injured. Authorities identify a suspect in killing three homeless men in Los Angeles. Four killed in an explosion that hit Sunday mass service in the Philippines in a university gym. And that's just the headings that I grabbed at the top of the page. That wasn't city by city, state by state. And if you need anything else, I, I just thought, let's think about some of the horrific things that go untalked about. Do you know that in 2020, it was estimated that 1,750 children died as a result of abuse and neglect. Some of them ranging as little as one years old. So when we, when we parade around in our society, speaking of how evolved we are, and at times speaking of how we don't need a God, how we don't need a Savior, we don't need your religion, we are reminded that man left in their own wisdom, in their own understanding, in their own ways of doing things can be desperately wicked. And the text says that the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and every intention of their thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. See, God is able to see beyond your outward appearance. God is able to see what's going on in your heart, in your mind. The countless stories of we hear of something tragic that happens, and they, what do they always say? They say, I never thought of him. He was such a great guy. She was such a wonderful person. But God is reminding us through the text today that, like, he sees beyond that. He sees the hurt. He sees the wickedness that rises up in humanity. And it is vile and destructive. This is a much different picture than what we see just a few chapters earlier. Look at the contradiction. In Genesis 1.31, it says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. His creation was good. But a decision was made. And when sin entered the earth, everything was corrupted. We talked about this when we did the Ten Commandments. Sin never just impacts you. Why do we need a Savior? Because without a Savior, we can only imagine how wicked this world would be. Without a Savior, we can only imagine how corrupt and wicked we would be. Let us not as believers get too boastful this season saying, hey, but I'm not the wicked. You're not the wicked now, but you once were. Unless you get too prideful and arrogant and confident in yourself, you too can fall and find yourself doing some wicked things that you never expected. That is why we need a Savior. That is why the incarnation of Jesus Christ is so beautiful. And the, the text gives us something else that is 
I don't even know how to process it, quite frankly. I don't know how to say it is, is, is powerful or disturbing or hurtful. It's, as I look at the text, I really wrestled this week. It says, and the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So much so, so the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the earth, of the land, man, animals, and creepy things, and the birds of the heavens. For I am sorry that I have made them. It hurts to think that God might think that of me at any point. And I really wrestle with the text of, oh, you're a sovereign God. You're a perfect God who knows all things. What do we do with this? I wish I could stand up here this morning and say, hey, I, I solved it all. <laughs> write this down. In fact, I'm going to write a book about it because it's going to be so, so monumental. I don't fully know how to grasp this text, but I do know what it's not. It's not saying that God is surprised. It's not saying that God doesn't know. It doesn't say that God somehow is now, oh, man, Holy Spirit, Jesus, man, we, we, we didn't think this through too well. That's not what it's saying. And I think that's where linguistically we always have to be mindful of, of recognizing that when we see words in English, uh, it sometimes can fail to really grasp what the original Hebrew scripture spoke and text said. But this sense of, as the text says, regret, is not the sense of where we're like, man, I should have done this. I regret this. I, shouldn't have, I should have never been in that relationship. I should have never been friends with. It's not that. Here, regret in the Hebrew text was actually speaking of a feeling, more of an emotion, a sense of sadness and pain and unhappiness. And this is God's way of communicating to his creation in a way they can understand. And this idea that says, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm unhappy. I'm saddened by your sinful, wicked ways. This is never what I intended for you. But we choose to go astray. We choose to walk in sin. We choose to be disobedient. And God is grieved. He's hurt. And I think there's something amazing that we often ignore about the introduction of sin into the world. The assumption is that it just impacts humanity as far as living human beings who breathe and talk like you and I. But the text, I believe, alludes to me that there's something even grander here because he says, I will blot out man whom I created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. I remember uh, uh, when a friend of mine was preaching uh, at Moody, he was uh, preaching his sermon uh, through the introduction of sin into the earth, and he talked about how when Eve ate the fruit, and he gave this colorful picture that I never thought of, of basically this idea that roses began to sprout thorns. He said the bee all of a sudden began to sharpen its stinger. 
with this idea that, that sin didn't just impact us as humans. It impacted this entire world and all that had been created. And in this moment, I think it's safe to say there is some element where that had to have been the case because, God, why would you destroy everything when you could have just destroyed the humans? But it's this idea that wickedness had permeated everywhere. Can you imagine? Just think for a second. In light of what we know today, use your colorful imagination. Imagine what it was like when it was nothing like this. When there was no evil when there was no wickedness in humanity. And God in his amazingness dwelt among us, talking to us, guiding us and leading us. And, and to see this beautiful opportunity now was disheartening for God. We all often try and make earthly comparisons to explain godly things. And even the comparison I'll give now pales into the truthfulness and how perfectly God does it. But you know when you've had those moments where someone you love, someone you care for, just continues to do stuff and you're like, why? Why do you continue to go down this road? Oftentimes, we use the example of parents with your children, and you see them go astray, or you see them walking in the direction, and you're like, God, I, why? And you're so grieved because you're saying, hey, I know, what's, I know there's something better for you, but you are choosing and walking away that is self-destructive. But I want to reverse that as well, because there are many of us who are children, looking at our parents saying the same thing. Why, mom? Why, dad? Why are you being self Why are you walking in this way? But I think the beauty of today's text is also found in the closing verses. After this declaration has been made, it says these wonderful words, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. God is grieved. He sees the wickedness of man. It hurts his heart to see his creation walking in such a way when he knows he has better for them. And this is where I think we must recognize the beauty of God's goodness and his grace. Because there didn't have to be another option. I think sometimes in our arrogance, we assume, well, oh, you know, there's always got to be another option. No, like, no, he created all things. He is the God who has no creator. He didn't have to provide an option. He was not obligated by us to do something for us. But in and of himself, he lovingly gives. 
And I think if we go back even in the opening part of the chapter, it says in verses th verse 3, my spirit shall not abide in man forever, for his flesh and his days shall be 120 years. He's even in this moment saying, I'm giving you guys a time. There's this grace period. So if you, if you bypass that too fast, you don't even recognize, even in his chastisement, he's showing us his graciousness. We see it later in the text, not in this particular text, but Nineveh. He calls the people. He says, Jonah, go to them. Tell them to repent. He's giving them an opportunity to be redeemed. And here we see the same thing because it says Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, one thing you start to do is, as you study your Bible more, you know the importance of uh, looking up names. Now, in different cultures, names have significance. I think sometimes in the Western culture, we kind of just give names that don't necessarily have, uh, like, deep definition meaning. It'll be somebody we really admire, somebody we appreciate, or just something we just came up with out of the blue. I've seen some interesting names. Um, and a name means something. My name is Ashanti Menka Petaway. I was named after the West African tribe, the Ashanti tribe. My middle name means Menka, which means justice. And so much of who I am is that. I've been like that since a kid. And so names can have these meanings and great depth to them. And in so many cultures, I do appreciate how they, there's a value in the name. And I said, well, what does Noah mean? I've been walking with Jesus over 20 years. I never thought about it. But as I was reading, I was like, Lord, what does Noah mean? And guess what Noah means in the Hebrew text? It means rest. Noah found favor in the sight, in the eyes of the Lord. And you say, Ashanti, well, what's the significance of rest, what is the significance of the, the name? Well, Noah, like many in the Old Testament, Noah, David, these were all individuals who in some way, shape, or form, or fashion served as almost a foreshadowing of what Christ would ultimately do. See, they were supposed to be deliverers of people. Noah, as we go further in the story, again, we're not that part of the text yet, but we know he didn't build the ark in a day, a week, or a month. And he continues to tell the people of the need, and they continue to laugh and mock of it's no big deal, because he's saying, it's coming. David stands before as the, 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 the archetype to be the example to say, hey, I'm going to be the one who brings Israel out. And in both scenarios, we see this wonderful work of God's graciousness, but we see the frailty of man and how they ultimately fail and are unable to serve as the ultimate deliverer. But here, in this text, Noah serves as that example, and it reminds us of Jesus and why his incarnation was so central and essential to us all, because in Christ... He brings what we need in order to be fully reconciled and healed and restored to union and relationship with the Father. 
We know the end of the story. The flood comes. People are destroyed. Does wickedness end? Man still finds ways for wickedness to reign. Pedophilia is not new. Various forms of sexual immorality is not new. Perversion, rage, hate, violence, it's not new. Man continued to find ways to do wickedness. You know, one of the reasons why Jonah was so offended by the idea of having to go to Nineveh to share God's word with them for an opportunity of repentance was because Ninevites were very skilled killers. For him, he could not grasp the idea that God would give an opportunity for these people to be redeemed when their wickedness remained so strong. And today, we can be reminded of the reason why Advent should be celebrated. The reason why we celebrate the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in his birth. Yes, you can argue over accuracy of dates. Yes, you can argue over skin color. Who cares? At the end of the day, the beautiful thing is this, is that the Savior came. Putting to death everything. He bore all of it on that cross. Not to jump ahead, but on that cross. He bore all of it. But if he does not come, if he's not born to the Virgin Mary, what redemption do we have? What do we celebrate? So today, the importance is that we remember our need for a Savior. Why well, start off Advent with talking about the wickedness of man? Because it humbles us. It serves as a reminder of, you know what? This is why we need our Redeemer. I'm a firm believer that you should, again, you don't live in regret in our modern way. We always think of regret as, like, I should have never done that. Why? Or we don't forgive ourselves for poor decisions in the past. But I always believe you should, every once in a while, meaning a couple times a year, I think we should always go back and remember who we were before Jesus. Not that we celebrate about our party lifestyle and things we did, but we remind them. I was once lost, but now I'm found. I was literally once blind, but now I see. There was nothing in my good works that made me able to stand before a holy God. But it's through this free gift that we received from the incarnate Christ by faith, through grace, that allows us to know that we are firmly secure in his hands, which then allows me to love confidently, to walk boldly, full of humility and graciousness 
because I know it was not anything I did in and of myself. I get to benefit from the one who actually did the work. So as we go forth this Advent season, it is my prayer that we really take time to celebrate the beauty and value of our wonderful God. And I'm here to tell you, we don't boast about Jesus to others because it makes us feel good and proud of ourselves. We boast about Jesus to others because we want them to be able to reap the beauty and benefits of being connected to the God who solves all things and heals all things. In our culture today, wickedness is reigning. You could call out various topics and issues at hand, but it's all across the board. We celebrate sin. But if we're honest with ourselves, we see the destruction of sin all around us. Let us broadly proclaim Christ. The little baby that was born in a manger who fully God and fully man ultimately went to the cross so that we might be reconciled to him. When we walk into that faith, it is our reminder that we have found favor in the sight of the Lord to be able to be connected with him despite who we once were. Let us pray. Thanks for tuning into this week's COTB Sermon Podcast. For more info or to connect with us online, you can find us at cotb.life.